Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos will reportedly at least pick in the draft uh, tonight in the third round. You don't have to tune in on television in the early going because the second round still has to move along and Broncos won't pick until the fourth and fifth pick of the third round, 67 and 68 overall. Joining us now to talk about it in a, a welcome back, uh, by the way, of, of sorts is Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette. If you're a, a, a long timer here in Denver, of course, you remember uh, Chris, even on the, the Nuggets beat for years and years. Many and years. Been covering the Vikings for years and now is back in town. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Thomason. That's T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. Chris, uh, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be with you guys. Well, the Denver Broncos obviously don't have a lot of picks in this draft, but they do, I guess if you're looking at the bright side, their first two are back-to-back, which facilitates the opportunity for trades if they'd like, given Sean Payton's background and George Payton's background in drafting, and Payton seems to be happier with fewer picks, uh, Sean Payton, I should say, than George Payton. Do you suspect they'll just take the best two players that they can find at that spot, or will they be shopping it until the last moment to get more? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think if they do trade, it'll more likely be to trade down to accumulate additional picks. But uh, obviously, they'll have to see how the second round goes. But they like that back-to-back nature because nobody's in between them. So you don't have to play that game of, well, do we take this guy because we think they're going to take this guy or take this other guy because they maybe they're going to take this guy. So... uh, I wouldn't be surprised they just swoop right in and, and take uh, the two picks. I mean, you could still get uh, fairly uh, quality guys at that 67, 68 spot, and then fourth, fifth, sixth round after that, seventh, it gets more dicey. Uh, what is your sense? You've been back here for a few months. You were in Minnesota uh, before that. Um, it's been a long time since the Broncos are any good. Uh during your prior stay uh, here in the city, uh, uh, the Broncos were most of the time quite good. Uh, now they're on yet another head coach. Uh, it's been going back to 2016 with Gary Kubiak, Gary, Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, Nathaniel Hackett, and now Sean Payton, five coaches in the last I guess it'll be eight years this year. Uh, Not the stable organization that you were around before. I just want to get your general impressions, all things considered, of where you think the Broncos stand right now. Well, I think they're in pretty good shape with Peyton, Sean Peyton, bringing in a veteran-type coach after three coaches in a row who had never coached before. So I think the lesson is that if you're going to hire a novice coach make sure he was once affiliated with sean mcveigh because those are seemingly (laughs) those are seemingly the only young coaches inexperienced ones who come in and do a good job so i would say hire a veteran coach or somebody uh who at least uh knows somebody who knows sean mcveigh the Broncos now with Sean Payton in charge has a very particular, he has a type when it comes to draft, the same as Bill Parcells did. He believes in building from the line out. Payton specifically, in each of the times he's discussed this at all since becoming the Broncos head coach, has talked about the necessity of improving the both, both the offensive and defensive lines. 
Do you suspect that's their priority, or will they go somewhere else uh, if a player is vastly better? Because we all know that even though they'll say we just pick the best player available on the board, uh, that's not true. It's based on a position of need, and it's hard to believe the Broncos have positions of need any greater than the Lions. Yeah, well, they certainly helped themselves in free agency yeah. on the offensive line. That was a major concern there. Center could be a, a position they address. I mean, Lloyd Cushenberry is probably the weakest link on the line, and uh, they could certainly look for a center in the draft. Although, the thing about centers, you can find centers very late in the draft. So you True. don't necessarily have to take one in the third round. I mean, you look at a lot of the top centers – and they are very late round picks. But, you know, I think they need pass rush help. They're still uh, trying to make up for Chubbs trading him to Miami last year. I mean, everybody made a big deal out of 63 sacks from the offensive line giving up last year. But the defense only had 36 sacks, which ranked uh, tied for 22nd in the league in number of sacks. So they're way down there. So, I think you have to address a pass rusher, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of those third-round picks is a pass rusher. I mean, Sean Payton was talking about how those are kind of the guys that uh, go earlier in the draft. So if you want to get one of those, I would suggest getting one early. Maybe same with a cornerback, too. That might be. I know that uh, George Payton, I asked him on the conference call last week, I said, well, you guys signed nine outside free agents on offense, just two on defense. Right. I think you got to address the defense a little bit, but he seemed to say, oh, the defense is pretty good. we got a foundation. We'll look at the best player available. But, yeah, I'm sure regardless, they're going to have to show some love to the defense in the draft, no doubt. To me, just to be a contrarian of sorts, I would say their, their defensive foundation consists of two people. Justin Simmons and Patrick Satan. Uh, maybe uh-huh. maybe DJ Jones. I think he's a pretty good player, but again, as a nose tackle, he's not out on the field all that much. You know, he's rotated out. So I, I I'm I'm wondering if there is somebody like let's say a Zach Harrison, who people have heard of, played for Ohio State. Ohio State was in the playoff last year you know, playing for national championship featured a lot during the regular season. If somebody of Zach Harrison's capability, maybe Zach Harrison himself is there at 67. Could you see them making that move and then maybe going for a lineman, maybe even a running back with the next pick? Yeah, I could certainly see that. Uh, Dane Brugler, who's a, notable draft analyst he's got uh 11 edge rushers that he put a first or second round a ground uh, grade on so you know will 11 be taken i mean not everybody they might not all be and there's the likelihood right. one of those guys could slide into the third round so that's certainly a possibility and yeah definitely running back could be a possibility you know especially if some guy like you know Jack Charbonnet of UCLA sides or somebody like that. But if the projected running backs are already gone, seems like there's a bunch of guys kind of in the same boat. So they might be able to get a running back a little bit later in the draft. I mean, you can, you can get those guys late in the draft. I mean, 
Philip Lindsay a couple of years ago wasn't even drafted and then had two straight thousand yard seasons right out of the gates. Speaking of Philip Lindsay, uh, it, it's it's certainly possible that it could be both and they could both draft a running back and bring Philip Lindsay back. He has expressed some uh, interest in so doing. Uh, in your view, would that make any sense for the Broncos? with or without a running back taken in this draft to take another look at Philip Lindsay. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I had a chance to talk to him a couple of days ago, and he would love to come back to Denver. He wanted to be a role player, play on special teams and what have you, and he's a good locker room tech guy who's not going to complain. I mean, if he wants to come to training camp on a non-guaranteed minimum salary, sure, have him, have him come in and see what he can do. And, uh, I mean, I would think he'd be pretty good as a number four running back or or, th- or three at least if he, uh, you know, shows some stuff. What's the challenge for – and let, let's just fast forward for the draft here. After we find out who they who they get, and we're talking with Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette, they're not going to get immediate solutions that will make them a notably better team immediately on day one where we look and say, here's a day one starter. So between now and then, what should fans be looking at when they're talking about optimism for this team going forward? Because uh, kind of what they are, as it stands, is probably, barring something strange, most of the guys that will start. And and this draft is sort of filling in more depth on the roster and potential guys that are prospective uh, starters or at least significant snaps down the road. Well, it's almost like, trying to tell the fans to forget last year it's like (laughs) let's let's just reset things last year you remember how optimistic you are forget about how bad russell wilson is you know think about how excited you were a year ago and and reset it i mean that's almost the mentality that they have to have because uh, so much depends on russell wilson i mean uh i've talked to some people and they say hey if if Sean Payton can't turn Russell Wilson around. Nobody can. So, I agree with that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, That's so exactly what can, I'd say. If, if he can be turned around, yeah, there's reason for optimism. But, uh, you know, the doomsayers might say, well, uh, maybe he's just going to fall off a cliff. I mean, in the old days, quarterbacks around his age were many of them fell off cliffs and they're yeah. done. I mean, yeah. we've got a little bit spoiled with the likes of Tom Brady and – Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers, you know, playing so effectively at age 40 or close to 40. So, uh, you know, not everybody's like that. Some people uh, fizzle out much earlier. Is there any chance? Um, I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I, assuming they stay with just the five picks they have, is there any chance that they would draft a quarterback at some point? Or is that something that with so few picks, they simply don't have the luxury of doing this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, certainly a possibility that they could draft a developmental quarterback uh, late in the draft. And also, you, you can trade future late-round picks for you know, a current late round pick. So let's say there's a quarterback sitting there at sixth or seventh round. Right. And hmm, right. we'd like right. this guy. Okay. Well, we'll trade next year's 
sixth round or right. something like that. Right. And, you know, and maybe some team will think, oh, the Broncos aren't going to be any good, so we're going to get a, better, a good sixth rounder next year or whatever. And, and trading a sixth rounder is not going to, you know, handicap the future that much. So you can always quickly jump back in with a trade. And, I mean, sixth and seventh round picks are fairly easy to get. And if they see someone they like, I'm sure they would be interested in a quarterback or I'm sure they're talking to some quarterbacks. And if they think that maybe one's not going to be drafted, maybe they've already got one in hand. And then as soon as the draft ends, you know, they sign him as an undrafted free agent. And Chris, that's exactly where I was going to go. Of course, the Broncos have a long history of finding at least some success from the undrafted college free agent ranks. Uh, this year, it seems as if it's not something that would be a luxury. It seems like maybe it's something they have to be able to hit a couple guys from, right? Yeah, you know, they're they're on the phone with the agents now, and obviously these guys work fast. I mean, some you, you talk about when undrafted free agents are often signed, I mean – the deals are made and, you know, early in the seventh round, you know, and just in case they don't get drafted and then boom, you know, like that, they're, they're signed and ready to go afterward. And with only five picks and roster spots to fill to get to the 90 man limit. Yeah. They're definitely going to uh, bring in, you know, a decent number of undrafted free agents. It seems obvious uh, both from uh public statements that have been made and uh, the sense you get uh, from just observing uh, from the outside that the uh, power in this organization now rests pretty strictly with the head coach, with Sean Payton, and much less so with George Payton than you might have thought, for example, a year ago at this time, when even with a new coach, the new coach didn't seem all that interested in the in the draft or team building aspects, and it was definitely at least during the off season the George Payton show. Uh, you're up in Minnesota. Uh, know that uh, George Payton was uh, uh, there for quite some time. Uh, is there any question that Sean Payton is not only in charge but will be the prime driver? behind anything the Broncos do in this draft, or are we selling George Payton a little bit short? I think it's kind of your most, uh, I would most agree with you. Um, Sean Payton, you know, I think if push comes to shove, he's going to make the final decision. But I also think that Sean Payton has great respect for George Payton, you know, knows what he did for years in Minnesota and that sort of stuff. And, he's got a good eye for talent. So I think he's going to listen to what George Payton said. And, you know, Sean Payton's still catching up. I mean, he was with a, as a Fox studio guy. He wasn't sitting around, wasn't scouting games last year. He no. wasn't staying up late watching game film. So George Payton, obviously, because he's been doing it regularly, you know, knows more about the prospects. So I think Sean Payton, while maybe if there is an argument, would have the final decision. He's going to look at, he's going to listen also to George Payton, who's, uh, you know, been studying and researching these prospects for much longer than he has. 
He is Chris Thomason, of course, with the Denver Gazette. Make sure you check out everything they're doing at the Gazette. And you can follow uh, Chris on Twitter at Chris Thomason. And that's spelled T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. Uh, appreciate it, Chris. It's going to be an interesting draft, even though it's not necessarily going to be a, uh, a really momentous one. So it'll be interesting to follow. And hopefully we'll be able to keep in touch with you as the offseason rolls along. All right. That sounds good. All right. Thanks, Chris Thanks, Thomason. Thanks, Chris. Good uh, to talk thanks. to you. Yeah, nice to have uh, Chris back in town. It is. Place, uh, so. Very nice. I uh, got to know Chris pretty well, particularly during his years on the Nugget Beat. Uh, uh, Chris is uh, a good old-fashioned reporter and uh, brings a fresh set of eyes to uh, yes the proceedings as we uh, find the Broncos to be interesting, but maybe not yet quite compelling. Yes, because, look, they're, they're, they're not they're not winners yet and and then they're not yeah. probably going there to be that. this year as well and and that's the trick i mean you look out at, of the playoffs and not having played a playoff game since super bowl oh 50. and in case you were curious of maybe sneaking in a wild card remember the uh new york jets just added some talent as well so you're now talking with uh oh, yeah. mixing in with that i mean yeah, that's I'm, the the, the afc is just absolutely stacked it's going to be really really difficult for this to, to find a way to get you know where there. it's stacked I, I i'm not sure it is stacked uh, beyond Kansas City until proven otherwise. They're going to win 12, 13 games. Yeah, right. Right? I, Cincinnati, I think, is the real deal. But even Buffalo, I, I'm not sure. Uh, Miami, they don't have many draft picks. A lot of question marks about Tua's uh, health going forward. I do have questions about Miami. Buffalo's going to be good year. enough. I, I think Buffalo will be good enough, but yeah. Buffalo was a disappointment last year. Let's let's they lay it out there. I think there are a lot of 9-10 win teams in the AFC. Certainly far more than there are in the NFC. But even in the AFC, I'm not sure that there are several juggernauts one maybe two more than that i've got to see it now good news for baltimore great day for baltimore yesterday no yeah yep. uh, because you you Just sign lamar of, jackson yeah. and you draft uh, a wide receiver and say flowers i happen to love um uh, mm-hmm. i'm somewhat partial toward guys who played at boston college uh, they were one of the teams i followed it to the extent that Eastern football was anything beyond Penn State when I grew up, and and a little bit of the Ivy League, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, especially during the mid-60s. But this receiver from Boston College was like the 83rd-rated high school prospect uh, when, when he came out, and all of a sudden he's one of the top 22 picks in the NFL draft. Yeah, good draft for uh, uh, Philadelphia as well, another good offseason. They signed Jalen Hurts and realized, hey, why don't we just outsource this? Just the keep drafting rich- Georgia Bulldogs. Got richer. Seems like that's a good strategy. Just keep drafting teams off the guy, drafting guys of the champs. Works pretty well. Been doing it the last couple of years. Working out so far. We'll see what the Broncos do tonight. The Denver Nuggets tomorrow will take on the Phoenix Suns in a uh, monumental showdown. We'll take a quick peek at that, and I'll show you how much love the uh, the national world has for the Nuggets. Suffice, um, it's less than you're going to like. I'll tell you next on My Life Sports. Something else. Not listening when you say goodbye.
Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Oh, it's Friday. Hope you're all feeling as good about it as I am. Hopefully for different reasons. But hope you're feeling as good about it as I am. Need the break here. The Denver Nuggets, despite rolling through their series with comparative ease, right? Relatively, I would say. As did the Phoenix Suns. As did the Phoenix Suns. But here's the thing. In the, uh, in, in the Vegas odds, the Nuggets' chances of winning the conference actually have gone down since they knocked off the Timberwolves. Well, I, listen, uh, they knocked off the Timberwolves. Uh, they didn't blow them out. Phoenix knocked off the Clippers. True. Didn't exactly blow them out, uh, although they had a huge lead, of, of, you know, bigger lead than the Nuggets. They also had, had the an advantage team. of playing a team that was minus, it's not one, but I, I, two best players. I know, and it still was a better team than Minnesota Timberwolves. Much oh, better yeah. team than oh, Minnesota sure. Timberwolves. So, yeah, not I, suggesting I, you otherwise. can go back and forth, but... I'm the one picking the Nuggets to win this series, and you're the one picking the Suns. You so are. I, I, well, I, let me let me give you the difference here right now, at least. The update is not now. The, the Suns are a, in, in Vegas. The Suns are a plus 150 to, to win the West. That's pretty dominant. Now, it's not Boston's minus 165, which is hilarious. Well, you got to look at Boston. They're, they're a two seed. Yeah. They're playing a three seed in the next round, which they expect at Philadelphia. But then they win... <laughs> uh, they play the winner of five versus eight. If right. they get past Philly, they get a weaker team. Mm-hmm. At least by regular season definition, yeah, ask in the conference finals, though Miami getting not a lot of love there, plus one thousand. But that seems nice for some of these teams. Golden State at a plus two seventy five, a second to Phoenix. The Nuggets at plus three fifty. The Lakers at plus five hundred. The Grizzlies at twenty five hundred. And in the uh, uh, nobody believes in them. Although I sure like them better to win their series than the Grizzlies. The Kings are a plus three thousand. But for for the Nuggets, for the top seed to be the third most likely, and I get it. Phoenix at the tail end of the season kind of built themselves a super team again, and they don't have a lot of depth. You don't play a lot of depth in the playoffs. No, and the Nuggets don't play a lot of folks. Right. Unfortunately, to my mind, that gives the advantage back to the Sun. And yeah. I, I, I think that in this case, that. that's just where uh, the, the challenge is, I think, for the, the Nuggets who can win this series. Do not get me wrong. They can. Uh, Phoenix's Defense is all but non-existent. And so as long as the, the Nuggets are essentially taking high-quality shots, DeAndre Ayton has had uh, at least, when he came up as a rookie, had some luck against Jokic. It's kind of tilted a little oh, bit yeah, more that, since. Yeah. Uh, Jokic, we'll, we'll get into that more. In yeah. Um, but the problem is you have two of the league's best offense. I'm going to hesitate to say shooters. I just say pure offensive players, pure scores, any way you want. Shoot, drive, you name it. In Durant and Booker, who happen to play defense too, and and, yep. and they may be just about alone. Durant on is Phoenix in that respect. I I will I will just make the argument. Durant is unguardable. End of story. It, Durant is going to do however Durant's game yeah, is going to just have, have hope he misses. He's unguardable. You know, it's, it's, uh, the, Booker and there I will think, be nights where where he doesn't miss much. We know that Booker can be guarded to an extent because Christian Brown got under his skin the last time they had played. I know there were less. Uh, at stake then right but you are talking about a guy in in booker who is if not a superstar is sitting on the uh, fringe of the green right i I agree with that he's very very close i think the two best players in these playoffs so far have been i'll divide it east and west in the east no question jimmy butler yes in the west to me no question uh booker has been the best player uh, in the playoffs, in the West, and uh, you know, with all due respect to uh, Jokic, and Murray, and uh, 
LeBron and Anthony Davis and uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And uh, I'll tell you what, Draymond Green, who I thought was the best player in the court the other night in game five. Sure was. That series. Uh, I I would say Booker uh, right now is on one of those tears that few players can match. Yeah, and obviously that makes this a very, very difficult thing to, to, to break down. And for the Nuggets, yeah, I mean, I, I can see it. I can. It's possible. But it's not going to be, not, obviously it was never going to be an easy series. And there's no point looking ahead whatsoever. But I, I just look at this Phoenix team, and I've been worried about it for a while because it's, to my mind, the worst matchup for the Nuggets. It's oh, worse. Yeah. It's uh, worse than the Lakers. I, I think it's worse than the Warriors. For anybody, worse, anybody. I think, anybody, including the Celtics. I think they're the most yes. dangerous team yes. in, in basketball oh, right well, now. Course. I think the Celtics would rather play anybody, anybody, including Golden State again. Agreed. As opposed to Phoenix. Yes. Now, does Denver have any sort of structural advantages here that they can leverage? Glad you asked that question. There's all All sorts of stuff on your paper. I figured some of it's got to be something there. Because um, what I did was first stipulate that if ever the Nuggets are going to break through and reach the NBA Finals. This is the year to do it. It's as good it's an option as they've ever good had. good an opportunity as ever they're, they're ever going to have. They are knock on wood at the moment, healthy. And I like them in this series. But I found seven categories. Start with continuity. Nuggets at the edge, right? Played okay. together all year. Con- this fair. Phoenix team, very good, I mean, but Booker, a small sample size. I understand, right. but that's 13 games, not 12 and 82. One. Oh, okay. Not 82 games, gotcha. it's 13. And in that respect, I think that it, the continuity that the Nuggets have is in and of itself a clear advantage for them in this series. Then I go to the matchup that I hope, from a Nugget point of view, doesn't actually transpire. But it is said that one of the reasons that the Nuggets brought in Kentavious Caldwell-Pope was to guard Kevin uh, Devon Booker in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in that matchup, I would favor Booker over Pope, much as I favored Edwards yeah. over Caldwell-Pope. Booker years. over everybody, and obviously. Edwards yes. came reasonably close to forcing a sixth game and perhaps a seventh uh, in that first-round series. But then there's Jokic against Aiton. And I know people are saying, well, Aiton's big and tough and strong, and he isn't afraid of Jokic, and I more or less agree with that. And he has a big, strong guy backing him up. And that's more than the Nuggets have backing up Jokic. Yeah, However, that's Jeff Green. To me, when I say Booker over KCP, I say it even more emphatically. Uh, Jokic, I think, will have the best playoff series of his career. And they'll need all 12 of those fouls they have between Aiton and Biombo, right? Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll need all 12 of those fouls uh, because. 
I mean, Jokic fouled Towns and Gobert out of ball games, right? Yeah. In the first round, absolutely. I think yeah. he can do the same thing with these two. Check mark for Denver. Then we get to the bench, and again, taking a look at the quality of the Nugget bench more so than the quantity, because Phoenix, I think, will play more guys, but qualitatively, check mark for Denver. I think Denver's got a better bench, certainly from a qualitative point of view. Home court advantage. Now, this is a fact. This isn't speculation. The Nuggets have it, not the Suns. A rare thing for the Nuggets to have home court advantage in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Especially after the first round. Very unusual. Okay. Okay. Growth potential. Hmm. Well, the Nuggets are who they are, and the Suns, to your earlier point, the more they play together, Booker, Durant, Paul. The better they'll get. The better they're going to get. Yikes. The better they're going to get. And we saw some of that growth, I think, in the first round series. I don't think the Nuggets grew all that much. They didn't have to. They, they, they were no better, no worse at the end of the series than they were at the beginning. Phoenix was much better, to my way of thinking, certainly offensively. They were more connected at the end of the series of the Clippers than they were at the beginning. And I'm accounting for the absence of George and Leonard, who are both fine defensive players. So Leonard's brilliant defensively. But they didn't have to play against Leonard. Uh, the last several games of that series, and they didn't have to play against George at all. But the growth potential, that's a check mark for Phoenix. And last, but maybe not least, coaching. Monty Williams has been in the finals. Monty Williams has coached star-laden teams. I think what little he has on the bench, especially at home, he knows how to use it. On the road, I think it'll be problematic. And if you add everything up, Phoenix has the edge in three categories, the Booker matchup, growth potential, and coaching. The Nuggets have the continuity advantage, the Jokic matchup, the better bench, and home court advantage. I say four out of seven go Denver's way. And four out of seven games will go Denver's way, and they will win this playoff series and advance to the conference finals. I would love that. And that does feel very much as if this is, uh, at least on paper, given the strengths of each team, a a seven-game series. Because when you look at the seven, I guess I would look at the shooting, the variability of it. And I'm not knocking, like I said, I think both. Durant, I think Durant's unguardable. I think Devin Booker's phenomenal at the same time. Uh, Booker has shown a propensity at times to have the occasional complete stinker. Now, so has Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray has had those four for 18 type games as well here and there. These are two great shooting teams. They really are. They really are. They're they're the only two teams that consistently can shoot around 50%. That's the part that I think is interesting too because the question is now... Who's getting these shooters open? And now you're talking about a fundamental difference in the way they're playing. Uh, Chris Paul is is still motoring along. I, I don't think Chris Paul is nearly the same guy as he used to be. I don't think that's a shock, and I don't mean that as an insult. Uh, but he's not the um, – Chris Paul doesn't take over games anymore. No, at, at least not as often. 
and and it, even even two years ago against the Nuggets, I thought he was a major factor in that series. He will not be a major factor in this series. Now, I think the Phoenix belief is that he can have significant impact on maybe a couple of games, and perhaps that turns the tide in Phoenix's favor. If you assume that Durant, Booker, Jokic, and Murray will sort of cancel out. The difference in Paul's case is in these playoffs, he's shooting 41%. That's for very, very good shooting teams. They, they don't are. want him shooting. Booker, for example, is 60 right now in the playoffs, and Durant's sitting at 51, Aiden's even at 53. But Paul is at 41. Now, Eight, 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 eight assists per game, only a turnover and change per game. Obviously, he yes, still he's makes still the right choices with the, the ball. Assist to turnover ratio going for but him. that's Certainly where the difference is. The effectiveness of Nikola Jokic is you he, he finds open guys not only because he's extraordinary at delivering the, the pass at the right time, but he also requires a double team. And the second you double team him, you're in trouble. In Chris Paul's case. I don't think the Nuggets are terribly concerned about crowding Chris Paul because they may be very well be willing to let him shoot. Oh, they want him to shoot. They and so I shoot. think that's one of the things that can be exploited, as weird as it is to say you're going to, you know, exploit a future Hall of Famer in, in Chris Paul. Well, uh, the I reality mean, is he's, 30, he's, 37. he's 37 years old. He'll turn 38 in uh, literally a week. All right. I mean, he turns 38 in the, on the, in the, on the 6th. 38. So, so that's, yes. But I, I think Phoenix understands that, but you're right, and that could be an advantage that's somewhat exploitable uh, for Denver. Um, you know, it, in hockey we talk about, you know, whether at home when you have last change, you should match your top line against the other team's top line. Right. And oftentimes you don't do that at home. You, you want your checking line out there against the other team's top line and you want to control that matchup and you want to isolate your top line against their checking line and you think you'll get the better of that kind of usage Mm -hmm. of personnel and deployment of personnel. In this case, when it comes to matchups, do you dare put Murray rather than Caldwell Pope on and put Caldwell Pope on Paul. That's an interesting idea because the idea would be at least that Caldwell or Pope might be able to Aaron Gordon stop. On I'm putting Aaron Gordon Booker, on Booker. And I'm telling you, do you Porter put Jr. Gordon on Durant? And I say that because uh, I, I thought I agree with what Malone said, uh, his quotes in the paper today about how Gordon had a good series against Towns. I thought he did. He also was in foul trouble all, Every, the, time. all the time. All the time. And, you think that, and against Durant, I think he would be in foul trouble all the time. I agree. And that's why I wouldn't do it. I, I'm I'm be willing to, you know, all of a sudden, Michael Porter Jr.'s uh, better effort, but still not particularly skilled defense might actually be to your advantage because Kevin Durant's going to do what he's going to do. Just match him up size-wise and, and live with that and, and try to do something and get under Booker's skin and use the size advantage and put Gordon on Booker. That is what I would do. Remember when Gordon guarded Lillard see. two years ago against Portland? Yeah. Worked pretty well. Nuts. At, now, I say that knowing that Booker went crazy in game five of that sure. series when it was 2-2, but, it, but there were times during that series where I thought Malone's best move was to put Gordon on Lillard, and he did so. Uh, good, 
good for Malone. I just look at this, this scenario and say, case. Kevin Durant is not going to be stopped. The question is, who else will... Uh, if someone else well, gets you can't off, let Booker go off they're, they're for 40 gonna, or 50. They're going to beat you. So I, I think you're going to have to understand that Durant's going to get his 30-35. Nothing you can do and, about and it. And there's nothing you can do. And at least if he's going to get 35 or more, make Booker take 30 shots right. to get there. 30, that's that's why I'd go shots. with I'd go with Gordon on Booker, and I wouldn't get him in foul trouble versus Durant. I wouldn't. I would just ask <laughs> stay in front of him. Don't don't get suckered into to, to you know dumb fouls. Just try to stay in front of him and make sure that you're maximizing. I want your Gordon playing more in this series. I don't want him in foul trouble as right. much as he was in foul trouble against Minnesota. Yeah, and if he's in foul trouble against Carl Anthony Towns, you're really asking for it if you put him on Kevin Durant. Well, we'll find out. Obviously, that series starts. <laughs> Tomorrow and maybe a, they'll draw straws. <laughs> yeah, just draw straws. <laughs> it's short straws. Might have to at time. That's for sure. Well, baseball is back in the push for the postseason's on for hockey and hoops. So make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around. Put a direct Jeff. line to the experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. Plus, you get a two hundred fifty dollars bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager all in the same day. Which I mean, why wouldn't you? It's free money. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money from Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call one 4700 The Colorado Avalanche are in. Okay, yeah, the sun will come out tomorrow, and everyone's going to stay alive. It's not do or die. Get the cliches. But if they'd like their season to continue, they have to win tonight. We'll take a look at it next on My Life Sports. Ain't that beautiful? Meet Virginia. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Avalanche will be fighting for their very proverbial playoff lives on tonight's game in Seattle. It is game six. They are down three games to two, and they must have a win. It is. Uh, it's very straightforward. I've talked about it before. The thing that has to happen first is what happened, hasn't happened all series. The Avalanche have to score the first goal. Uh, when you are down, and 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 the numbers behind this, Sandy, and and obviously you know there's a feeling for it too. But but I I have the numbers for that. When the Avalanche score first this year, which they did more than anybody else, I believe they're forty-two seven and five. Right, dominant. Yep. When the Avalanche opponent scores first, it didn't happen as often, but still nine seventeen and two. Now, it's not as simple as all of that, but the truth is when you score first, you can, can start to control the pace. And you control the pace better when you, you have check better with the forecheck way. and yeah. depth, of which right now, in the forward lines, the Kraken have on the avalanche yeah. already. Oh, yeah. They can't afford to give up this first goal. Well, JT Comfort in this series, I, I think has probably escaped criticism in large part because the six forwards yeah. below him so have been so bad stereotypical okay. you don't have to be the you know the fastest you just have to be when the bears chasing you just have to be faster than the guy behind you that's kind of where Comfort's been in this series now his goal was shorthanded as you may remember in this series mm-hmm. the only goal he scored so i got a plus for that five on five in this series 
Comfer on the ice, 46% of the expected goals. Not good. Five on five, the Avalanche outscored four to two with JT Comfer on the ice. It's got to be better. And I say, well, that's minus two. And he's only minus one for the series with a shorthanded goal. It's not five on five, but you get a plus mm-hmm. shorthanded goal. So that's why it's minus one instead of minus two. Since game three, in other words, games four and five, they have the abs do 12 high danger scoring chances over 100 minutes of five on five play. Seattle has 27. In games four and five, scoring chances, 50 for Seattle, 33 for the Avalanche. They've got to flip those numbers relative to this game tonight. The good news for the Avalanche, no regulation road losses in the last 55 days. That's insane. None. Now, they lost game four. Yes, in overtime. Overtime, right. No regulation losses. On the road in 55 days. Maybe the jig is up on that. Maybe the jig is up. But I think that is a cause for optimism and a reminder that the Avalanche all year have been a better team on the road than they've been at Ball Arena. One of the things that's also valuable when you, t- when you talked about the shots and you talked about flipping those numbers, it- it's also fascinating to look at the numbers with Alexander Georgiev because the idea that Georgiev has to steal a game. Um, quite possible because the offense is not I been there. I think he probably does. But tonight here's would one be of the reasons that there's a good chance that would happen, Sandy, because the uh, the folks in Vegas have the over-under on saves that he would make today. That's 27 and a half. Okay. He's actually been under that in all but one of these games. Kale McCarn and the overtime game being the exception. Kale McCarn being back should help limit the shots. The Avalanche have, have allowed too many high-danger shots. Yes, as you, as you broke yes. down. Not, not so much shots, because there was only shots, 29, 28 right. shots the other night yeah. in favor of Seattle, but Seattle was under 30 shots. So they are keeping them under shots. They've been under 30 in every game except the overtime game. If a, a slightly better performance in the defensive end from the Avs, and perhaps not having Josh Manson, with all due respect, is playing hurt, uh, will help, as opposed to having a, agree. a player out there who's hurt that ended up yeah. playing minimal minutes. Now you're you're double-shifting somebody else. Right. That leads to eventual breakdown. So now that we see a spot where you hopefully can see someone in, with, you know, whether it's going to be Jack Johnson, Brad Hunt, whatever combination Jared Bednar picks, doesn't matter. You're going to have at least guys that you know are healthy enough to go, and, and hopefully that leads to fewer mistakes, leading to Georgiev having an opportunity to steal this one. The other thing that you have to trust in, just I mentioned his name, is Jared Bednar. Jared Bednar has a 42-24-1 career record in the postseason. Of course, as we know, he's the only person to ever win a championship in the ECHL, the AHL, and the NHL. But do you know the names he's with, with that winning percentage? That's a 627 career yeah. winning percentage. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. Coaches who have 50 or more games in the playoffs. Right. Here's the guys ahead of him. Scotty Bowman, 632. Toe Blake. At 689. Two greatest hockey coaches of all time, quite And possibly. Glenn Sather at 706. And Edmonton helped with that. That's it. That's it. That's, that's the list. It. That's the list. Four Top five. All time. Top four. Top four all time. Fourth leading coach in winning percentage in yep. the postseason with a minimum of 50 games in history. Bednar does know what he's doing. And and the things that I've looked at in this series, 
there have been very few mistakes I can necessarily lay at the feet of Jared Bednar. And he's tried everything. This is where the players tonight have to look in the mirror when they get into the dressing room and decide how bad do we want this? And are we willing to scrape and fight and claw for it? And I will say this, Sandy, I would be no more nervous about this game if it were here in Denver than it is in Seattle. Not only are they the road team, but they're going to be the villains. Kim McCarr is going to yeah. get booed every time yeah. he touches the good, puck. Good. Nathan McKinnon is going to get booed every time. Exactly. Some people. <laughs> I, I want them to get that energy. I think they need it, quite frankly. Hey, they were villains in St. Louis last year. I mean, Kadri in particular, but they weren't uh, being uh, cheered on by the St. Louis crowd. The St. Louis crowd was quite hostile, and they took care of business uh, in St. Louis last year. I believe the two games they lost to St. Louis were here. They didn't lose to St. Louis in St. Louis. They didn't lose in Nashville to Nashville. Uh, they lost one game in Tampa. That was the one road game they lost. They didn't lose to Edmonton in Edmonton. No. They, they lost didn't lose, one they didn't road lose game, it. and that was, was in, Tampa in the Stanley Cup final. in game three. Mm-hmm. And it was a doozy. I yeah. mean, they got blown out. They didn't lose one in but, the Western Conference. They, they didn't lose one in the Western Conference playoffs last year on the road. And they're one-on-one this year, but no regulation losses on the road. Since the fourth of March, that's fifty-five days, and Georgiev has shown me enough to think that he is capable. If they can limit Seattle to twenty-five shots or fewer, he's capable of slamming the door. Now, of course, they need a goal and probably at least two to win the game, but. You know, the 27 and a half is interesting. If it's 30 shots on goal and it's 28, I think they have a hell of a chance to win or at least get into overtime again. And I've seen the Avalanche down 3-2 on the road in years past going to overtime many years ago, admittedly. But they they had this guy, um, and I think he wore number 19, who had a certain flair for scoring (laughs) overtime goals. Yep. And in a lot of those games... They, they, they were elimination games that the Avalanche had to win to stay alive. And now they have a guy named Nathan McKinnon and also a guy named Kale McCarr, uh, who is perhaps not 100%. Some well, guy who set the Avalanche's regular season record McKinnon's for goals pretty, in Nico Rantanen. Pretty, uh, a pretty good bet, and so is Rantanen, I believe, uh, to be outstanding tonight and, and to score at least two and maybe three. If you hold them 25 shots or less, uh, shutout in play, one goal against in play. If it's more like 30, then you get back to the 27 and a half. Well, if it's 28 instead of 27, then, you know, I think you ought to be able to score two goals. And frankly, if they can't score three goals against these folks, they don't deserve to win the series. It's. It really is just that simple. Obviously, when we come back on Monday, there will be a lot to discuss. The Avalanche have Game 6 tonight. They hope to get Game 7 forced back in Denver if they get the win. doesn't matter how you get it. It's the playoffs. Just find a way to get it done. The Nuggets will be in action at home against the Suns tomorrow for Game 1 of just a a, a thrilling series. That's going to be a tremendous amount of fun. Star power on star power on star power. And, of course, the NFL draft continues. The Broncos Expected to have two picks tonight, and then, of course, we'll finish it off tomorrow on Saturday. So we'll have a ton to talk about 
on Monday. But in the meanwhile, we will uh, call it a weekend. You enjoy yours. Have a safe and very happy one. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for making everything sound good. Uh, today, Nigel can get in there for us, uh, making things look good over at milehighsports.com slash watching. Everyone is using the Mile High Sports app. Appreciate it. We will catch you then. For Santa Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Have a safe, happy weekend. And we'll looking forward to catching you Monday right here on Mile High Sports. You can feel the-